Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey there, everybody. It is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm really jazzed about this episode. It is episode number 164 and we're talking about some ways that you can feel confident in clinical, which I know a lot of students have questions and worries about, especially when they're brand new. I get it. I was totally right where you are. I had no healthcare experience at all, zero, and clinical terrified me. But with these tips, you can go into clinical feeling a heck of a lot more confident than I ever did. So before we do that, I do want to take a moment for our shout out. And this one goes out to Taylor, who writes this. I was so afraid to begin the nursing program from all the horror stories I have heard. But with the help of the boot camp, I not only gained confidence, I passed my dosage calculation exam the first try. And I passed my first semester of nursing school. This was by far one of the best purchases I have made. Taylor, that is awesome. You are doing amazing. You got through your first semester of school. That is no joke. Super big high fives all the way around. So what Taylor is referring to, if you haven't heard of boot camp yet, is my nursing school prep course called Crucial Concepts Boot Camp. And this boot camp takes you through the foundation concepts that if you go into nursing school knowing these ahead of time, You are way, way ahead of the game. We go through those types of things. We go through dosage calculations, like she mentioned, organizational systems, how to study. We review some key things from anatomy and physiology. And there are a ton of recordings from office hours where students write in and ask me questions, and then I address them on these live videos. So there's a ton of information there. It helped Taylor, and it can help you too. So if you want to get in on that, it's on sale right now. Link in the show notes, on sale through August 15th. Big discount, lots of freebies. I'll talk more about it at the end, but I really just want to get into this episode and talk about some ways you can feel confident in clinical. So again, students, you know, especially if you have zero healthcare experience like me, you might feel some uncertainty and some doubt, some fear, some anxiety, some nervousness, all about clinical. First of all, this is normal. I want you to know what you're feeling is totally normal. And in fact, it's a good thing. Being a little bit anxious about performing well in clinical simply means you care. It means you care about your education. It means you care about your patients. So let's agree before we go further 
that you're going to give yourself some grace and accept the fact that what you are feeling is to be expected. But of course, I do know that you want actionable steps that you can take to actively feel more confident. And I get it. So that's what we're doing here today, you guys. So the very first thing that you can do to feel confident in clinical, and this may seem like a no-brainer, but you would be surprised at how often this gets overlooked, is to show up prepared. This means completing all your clinical paperwork your prep work, anything that your instructor assigns you to do, completing all of it ahead of time and not just pencil whipping it, as they say, but actually focusing and doing it with great care. You also want to make sure that you have all the necessary equipment with you to do your job. So the main items that I suggest you bring are a stethoscope, Okay, that would be the main one. About three to four pens. You will lose pens, I promise. People will steal your pens. Put your name on your pens, by the way. A pair of hemostats. A pair of scissors. And unless you're working in the ER, it doesn't have to be the big heavy-duty trauma scissors. I mostly just use my scissors, you guys, for opening the IV fluid bags. The bags of fluid come in another plastic bag that's really, really hard to open, especially if your hands are at all damp from using the hand sanitizer or washing them. So I often have to use my scissors for that. Um, A clipboard might be really helpful for your clinical paperwork. And if you're getting a clipboard for your clinical paperwork, it's really nice to have one with either storage in it, so you can put your paperwork inside so there's no risk of it getting misplaced or someone seeing it because it may have patient information on it, or one of those clipboards that folds over, and sometimes those have nursey facts on it, so those are kind of cool too. So you could get some kind of a clipboard for your clinical paperwork. A brain sheet is something that I absolutely recommend. And a brain sheet is essentially what you use to get report, keep track of things that change about your patient, and then you use that sheet to give report at the end of the day. A run sheet, I call it a run sheet. Other people might call it different things, but it's some system that you have that helps you prioritize and organize your day. So with my run sheet, I go through and I jot down med times blood sugar check times, things like that, so that I can kind of have an overview for the day of how it might flow. Now, not to say that that doesn't change, because nursing is all about being proactive, being very fluid, being very flexible, always changing priorities, time management is constantly in flux. But at least you know, if you've got an antibiotic due at 1pm that you're going to be getting that antibiotic in at 1 p.m. And then some students find badge reference cards to be really, really helpful. 
These can have a ton of information on them. You can get a badge reference card set like the ones that my friend Chelsea has on her website, Tribe RN. But you could get the whole set and then just pull out the ones you need for different clinical rotations or pull out the ones you need because, oh, you're a little bit fuzzy on this information. I'm going to take that with me to clinical and review it today. So those are great. They fit right on your badge. Really handy to have that information with you. You could also carry a small little notebook maybe that just has your own notes. Maybe you jot down the things that you need to remember. Like when I did pediatric rotations, the vital sign parameters for kids change based on how old they are, and I could not keep it straight. So I just wrote it on a little uh, note card and kept that in my pocket, okay? So those types of things Showing up prepared, having the equipment or the reference materials that will help you do your job and do it efficiently can go a long way to helping you feel confident in clinical. Another tip is to know what to expect. So there's nothing like the unknown to fill you with dread and anxiety, right? But isn't there also something a little bit exciting about the unknown? That is true. That's why I really wanted to work in the ER when I was a student, but then I fell in love with the ICU, but I still, there's something about the ER where you never know what's going to show up that has like a great anticipation to it. But you still should know what to expect. So do your homework ahead of time so you kind of have an idea of what to expect from this clinical experience. What type of unit is it? What type of patients do they see? Obviously, doing a clinical rotation on an ortho unit where patients are coming after their hip and knee replacement surgeries is going to be vastly different from showing up on a medical unit where patients are dealing with sepsis and you know, diabetic ketoacidosis and pancreatitis. So know what to expect by what type of unit it is. Figure out ahead of time what you're expected to do as a student. Are you expected to take full care of two patients, full care of four patients, just meds and assessments? Find out what it is that your clinical instructor expects of you. And this should be very clearly outlined in your clinical course by your clinical instructor. For example, are you passing medications? Are you testing blood sugars? Are you assisting with ADLs? Are you taking the vital signs? Are you doing all of the above? So have an idea of what to expect. And when you kind of know what to expect, what kind of unit, what kind of patients you're going to possibly be seeing, then you can review relevant skills. So prior to your clinical day, pull out your Lippincott or pull out whatever you use as your nursing practice reference manual and review any skills that you anticipate that you might need. Foley catheter insertion, Foley catheter removal. If you're working on a surgical unit for your clinicals, I guarantee you, you're going to be taking Foley's out left and right. Make sure you review that procedure. Taking out IVs, maybe starting IVs if you are an advanced student and your school lets you do that. Dressing changes. NG tube insertion or managing an NG tube. Administering meds through an NG tube or tube feedings. Those are all very common skills that you may get to practice. So just go in, review the steps, 
And then when you're faced with the situation at clinical, you're going to feel so much more confident because you've just reviewed it the night before. Okay, the next thing that can really help you feel confident in clinical is know the common medications for that unit, for that type of patient that that unit gets. So medication administration, hugely high-risk procedure, probably the highest-risk thing that you will do as a student. So it's very, very important that you are familiar with every single medication that you give. A great way to get a jump start on that is to review the most common meds for that particular unit. So for example, let's say you're heading into a surgical unit, then you are going to want to review opioids and non-opioid pain medications upside down, backwards, and sideways. You also want to know your reversal agents, the stool softeners that are often used on these types of units. Now, if you're on a neuro unit, for example, you're going to be learning about things like anti-seizure medications, anticoagulants for those stroke patients, all of those things. If you're going into labor and delivery, then you need to know those medications, oxytocin, magnesium, tributylene, mis- I can't say this one, misoprostol. <laughs> so just to, you know, an overview that different units will have a different library of meds that they use the most often. Get familiar with what those are. Okay, here's my favorite thing to do to feel confident in clinical. So once you know like what your patient is dealing with, what type of patient it is, or even if you don't know which patient you have yet, but you know what type of unit you're going to, I want you to play the what if game. So the what if game is where you think about you what if X happens and you think about the top two to three really scary things that could happen with your patient. And what if for me, you know, always started with what if he codes, right? Because that was always super scary. So that's a gimme, okay? You're going to know what to do when your patient codes because you've listened to my episode on how to survive your first code blue, right? And I'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can go check that out. But try to think of two to three other really scary things that could happen that pertain to your patient's particular situation or at the very least, the types of patients, procedures, illnesses that you see on that particular unit. For example, for a post-surgical patient, some scary things to think about are, what if he hemorrhages? Okay, that's super scary. What if he gets too much opioid medication and stops breathing? Hello, that's scary, right? Or what if he gets a DVT and has a pulmonary embolism? So those would be, for me, probably my top three what ifs if I were working on a surgical unit. And then I want you to just do a quick run through of what you would do as the nurse in each of these situations or what you would expect the nurse to do if you're a student. Think of all those things that you would do to prevent this what if thing from happening and how you would react if it did happen. Okay, so for what if he hemorrhages? How are you going to be aware of this? How are you going to prevent it? Keep an eye out for it. How are you going to put hemorrhage at the top of your awareness list? Okay, so maybe you'll say, okay, 
I know it's possible that he could hemorrhage, so I'm going to keep a close eye on his blood pressure and heart rate. If his blood pressure goes down and or his heart rate goes up, I'm going to investigate further, okay? So right now, you kind of already are starting to feel a little bit better about what if he hemorrhages. How about this one? I'll watch for the development of a hematoma. I'll check underneath the patient because blood can pool underneath the patient, you guys. So you're going to keep an eye out for the signs of bleeding. How about I'll keep a pair of clean gloves at the bedside ready to go so I can quickly put them on and apply pressure if I need to. And here's a tip, you guys. I wear a small glove. That's more comfortable for me. It fits better. But if I had to put gloves on in a hurry... I'm not going for the smalls. I'm going for the mediums. So be aware of what size gloves you wear and what size gloves are easy to put on in an emergency. I wouldn't grab a large because they're too big and I wouldn't have any manual dexterity. I would feel like I couldn't control my hands very well. I can get by in a medium and it's going to be a lot faster for me to put that medium pair on than a small. So when I have a patient who has groin access sites, like maybe they had a heart cath procedure, and I know that those groins can bleed, I have medium gloves right there at the bedside ready to go so that if that groin site bleeds, I'm not fussing around with the smalls to get them on. I throw the mediums on and bam, I can apply pressure, okay? And then the other thing would be if there is a hemorrhage, I'm going to call the surgeon stat. I'm going to stay with the patient so they remain calm. You know, and as the student, maybe it's, I'm going to tell the RN immediately if I suspect a hemorrhage. So now you feel better, right? You know how you're going to watch for it, and you know what you're going to do if it happens. So right away, you feel like, man, that patient's in really good hands. And then our second what-if scary thing was, what if he gets too much opioid and stops breathing? So how am I going to prevent or watch for that or be aware of it. So I'm going to think about my plan, right? So my plan might be I will monitor his sedation level every two hours or every hour or whatever your policy requires or whatever makes me feel more comfortable, right? If I'm in maybe a more closer observation type unit, like a critical care unit, or in the recovery room, I'm monitoring that sedation level basically constantly because that's what I need to do to feel comfortable. I'll assess his sedation level prior to giving any additional opioid. Absolutely, you're going to do that. So you feel better about it already. If the patient does get too much opioid, does become oversedated, lose that respiratory drive, you might be scared, but you also know what to do, right? You're going to perform assisted ventilation with the bag valve mask right? You're going to turn that oxygen flow meter all the way up and you're going to give assisted breaths to your patient while you call a respiratory code. And then the other thing that you could do is give naloxone per facility protocol. A student probably isn't going to, but you know that that's what the RN would do. Okay, so now you know that the patient could get too much opioid, could get oversedated, you have a clear plan for monitoring for that and what to do if it happens. Okay, and then the last one we said was, what if he gets a DVT and has a pulmonary embolism? Super scary, right? Well, make a plan. How about 
You're going to make sure the patient wears his SCDs while he's in bed. You're going to teach him how to do those ankle pumps so that he keeps that blood flow going. You're going to ambulate that patient three times during your shift while you're there in your clinicals. You're going to make note if you see any unilateral leg swelling or redness, right? You're going to keep an eye out. And if the patient complains of shortness of breath, his O2 sats drop, he's got a cough maybe, maybe some chest tightness, discomfort, you're going to sit him up into high fowlers, put some oxygen on, and call the rapid response or the physician or let the RN know whoever is appropriate for you and how you're working. If you're a student, let your RN know. If you're the RN, call a rapid, call the MD, okay? You're going to follow the protocols for that. Now you've played the what-if game, you've got plans for monitoring, and you've got plans for intervening. So now it's not quite so scary, is it? Okay, the next thing that you can do to feel really confident in clinicals is to plan and prioritize your clinical day. So all of this starts with participating in that change of shift report. It's crucial for getting an overview of the patient's needs, their um, condition, all of those things, outlining their current issues, and it keeps a consistent plan of care in place. Make sure that you use a report sheet, or you may hear it called a brain sheet, and practice using as many abbreviations as you can because people talk fast when they're giving report. You can't write out chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. You can't write out hypertension. You're going to write COPD and HTN, right? So learn some abbreviations. Make up your own if you need to. This report sheet is just for you. So using abbreviations really helps you get through it quickly. Once you have received report on your patient, take a moment to look up some key information on each one. And I promise it might seem like a lot, but as you get really adept at using the electronic health record, this will get faster, okay? You'll know exactly where to go to get the information that you need. So some key information to obtain for every patient is the most recent MD progress note, the doctor's most recent progress note. This will give you a great overview of kind of what the patient presented with, what's been done, and how the patient is responding. And it gives you an idea of the medical team's plan of care. You also want to read the most recent RN progress note. Sometimes this may be an end-of-shift summary, depending on if that's what your facility calls it. But read the most recent RN progress note. Then you can see what the nursing interventions have been and how the patient has responded and what the patient's continued needs are. Looking at labs... Your patient will have a lot of labs a lot of the time, right? Do you need to go and look at every single one? You will learn as you get more adept at managing different disease conditions, which labs are most important for you to go look at. Go and look at those and pay attention to any abnormals, okay? And even if it's an abnormal that is outside of what you would expect to even be relevant to your patient, you still need to make note of that as well. And then key orders such as dressing changes, 
physical therapy, any activity restrictions or activity orders like the MD wants the patient out of bed for meals no matter what, wants the patient ambulating three times a day no matter what, you need to work those things into the flow of your day. You need to know what diet the patient is on, if they have any feeding restrictions like um, maybe they have a swallowing difficulty so they need their fluids thickened. You want to know about that. You want to know when you're doing blood glucose checks, all those types of things. So go through and look at key orders. And then I like to look and just jot down what time the meds are due. I don't write down what they are, but I do write down what time so that I just kind of have an idea when I'm looking at my little schedule sheet that I make. If I see med at 11 a.m., I know, okay, I got to go. I got to go to the med room and get this med and go see what the patient is getting. Okay, so that just helps you plan out your day. Hi, everyone. It's Jean Chatsky, host of the Her Money podcast. For seven years, my show has been changing the relationships women have with money because make no mistake, when it comes to money, women are different. We face challenges that men don't. Longer lifespans, caregiving, a gender pay gap that just won't quit. Oh, and the fact that the financial industry was built by men for men. We need information specifically for us presented without jargon in a judgment-free zone. And that's what the Her Money podcast is all about. Every week, we talk about earning more, spending smart, investing to build the life you want, and protecting yourself from disaster. Subscribe to Her Money with Jean Chatsky wherever you get your podcasts. Because when you own your money... You own your life. The next thing that I do is you can just make a quick list. You know, it can be in your head as you get better at this, or you can just jot it down. A quick list of each patient's main problems or their main risks, okay? And then just jot down two to three things that you can do to address each of them. Kind of like the what if game, right? So for example, let's say you have a patient who had abdominal surgery. What is that patient's main problem or their main risks? And what are some simple nurse-led interventions that you can do to address each one? So let's say pain, obviously abdominal surgery hurts. So pain at the surgical site, that patient's abdomen is going to hurt. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to give pain medication, right? You're going to teach the patient maybe to use a pillow to splint their abdomen when they cough or sit up. And you can encourage a distraction activity like a television program or a visitor or a book or something like that. So there you go, pain. And now you've got three things that you can do to help the patient through that. Another risk, they're at risk for deep vein thrombosis, right? They've had surgery, they're not getting around as much. What are you going to do about it? You're going to have the SCUDs, the SCDs on the patient while they're in bed. Maybe your plan is to ambulate, get them up walking three times during your shift, and you can teach the patient when they're sitting up in the chair to do those ankle pumps, okay? We're going to do all those things to prevent DVT, maybe give some heparin or some anoxaparin as an anti, uh, you know, a preventive kind of anticoagulant as well. 
And then another risk that we could talk about with a patient who's had abdominal surgery is a risk for pneumonia. So due to, you know, immobility, not getting around as much, not taking deep breaths because it hurts, not coughing because it hurts, uh, we could do some things to mitigate their pneumonia risk, right? Well, one of those things is Let's get their pain a little bit better controlled, right? So they can take the deep breaths. Teach the patient to use the incentive spirometer. Those things are great for preventing pneumonia. And getting the patient up to walk. Again, ambulating them is going to help them take those nice deep breaths. So when you do that, guess what you just did, you guys? You basically just made a care plan for your patient. Now, it might not be the super formal care plans that your school makes you do, but the concept is the same. So there you are doing all these nursing things. Isn't that fun? Okay. So then I like to take my run sheet. I've got my med times jotted down on there. Now I like to fill it in with all the other things that I need to do. My blood sugar checks, when I'm going to get them up walking. If I've got to do it three times, I really need to kind of plan out when that's going to happen. When am I going to tackle that dressing change? I can kind of look and see, okay, looks like I've got a window of opportunity between 1330 and 1400. I'm going to really aim to do it then. Now, I will say, even the best laid plans often go out the window. Don't get so married to your run sheet or your plan for the day that you can't react and manage the unexpected because I promise the unexpected is going to happen. But as you you know, deal with unexpected things as they come up. If you have a plan, it's a little easier to get your day back on track, okay? But do know that your priorities will shift because your patient's needs will shift as they get better or, unfortunately, if they deteriorate or if you get a new admit from surgery who's not doing well or someone coming up from the ED who needs immediate attention, those kinds of things happen. Don't let it frustrate you because you made a plan and you're sticking to your plan. That's not what this is for. This is a guide. It's like a map, but you still might take the scenic route, okay? So that's what I want you to think about. All right, next, I want you to commit to doing as much as you can in your clinical rotation. So honestly, you guys, what you get out of clinical is equal to what you put into it. A student could skate through clinical, you know, depending, of course, on your clinical instructor. But a student could probably skate through clinical if the stars were aligned and not put much in and not get much out. I don't want that to be you. I want you to get in there and do as much as you can, even if it's something you've done 10 times before. Get in there and do it. I promise you that 10th time is when everything's going to go to heck. It's not going to work the way it was intended, and you're going to have to do some troubleshooting and some problem-solving and some creative out-of-the-box thinking And that's when you're going to be so grateful that you took on this task because you'll learn so, so much from that, okay? So get in there and do as much as you can. Now, sometimes you're doing skills over and over again, and sometimes you're doing them for the very first time, right? So 
It can be scary to do something for real on a for real person for the for real very first time, but I don't want you to be too scared to try. Yes, I know you might be scared that you're going to do it wrong. I know that you might be scared that you will look like you don't know what you're doing, or you might look incompetent or nervous or timid in front of your patient. You might be scared to look uncertain in front of your clinical instructor. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous about it, but guess what? This is part of it. Doing things for the very first time on a very real person is part of learning to be a nurse, and this is how you learn. So again, if you reviewed your skills ahead of time, great. If not, take a moment. Pull up your Lippincott's, you know, if they have, I think Lippincott has a uh, online. So my hospital has a subscription to Lippincott Online. They may have an app that you can pull up on your phone if that's allowed. Look at your hospital policy, whatever it is you need to do. Review the procedure. Get all your supplies. Okay, that's really important. There's nothing worse than getting in the middle of something and realizing you don't have a key piece of equipment because then you feel kind of lame having to stop and go get it. So get all your supplies ahead of time. Get in there and do the skill. Do the task step by step and have your resource person by your side, whether that is the nurse that you're working with, your preceptor, or your clinical instructor. Trust me, you guys, they want you to succeed. And so does the patient, okay? So everyone's going to be cheering for you. Just get in there and do it. And then I have two more Next to last thing I want you guys to do, and this is more of like a mindset shift, is I want you to realize why you're there. And you are there to learn. So many students view clinical as like this ultimate test, right? And while it is absolutely the place where you put all those pieces together, if you view clinical as an eight or 12-hour exam, You're going to burn yourself out before the end of your first week, okay? So give yourself permission to be a student. Give yourself some permission to be in learning mode. If you think you have to go into clinical and know all the answers, I hate to break it to you, but you're setting an incredibly unrealistic expectation for yourself. It's okay to not have all the answers. Yes, you should have a basic understanding. Review the things that you need to review. Do your care plan, your clinical prep with care and be thorough with it. But to know all the answers, unless you're a walking encyclopedia, you will never have all the answers. So here's what I want you to do. If you don't have the answer, Okay, first of all, don't flub your way through it. That will be spotted from a mile away. Don't flub your way through it. It's completely okay to say, I don't know, but I want you to add on to that. Okay, it's not just I don't know. It's I don't know, but I'll find out. Something like that. Or I don't know that off the top of my head. Like if someone asks you what the patient's phosphorus level was yesterday, 
I guarantee you, nobody's walking around with that information in their head. So you can say, I don't know that off the top of my head, but I know where to get it. I'll find out and get back to you. Easy, right? Absolutely easy. Know your resources. Know how to look up a policy at your facility. Know how to look up your meds. Know how to access information on the patient chart. Anything anybody asks you, there should be a place where you can go and find it. So know what those places are. You can't know everything, but you can know how to find it, okay? All right, and then the last thing that I think can help you feel really confident in clinical is to keep a clinical journal. And I've talked about this before, you guys, but one of the fastest ways to amplify your clinical learning is to use a clinical debrief form or clinical journal. With this clinical journaling, you're reflecting on what happened in clinical, what you observed, what the team did to address an issue, how the patient responded. And you can take that information and apply it to future situations. So for example, let's say your patient is short of breath. Watch what the nurses and respiratory therapists do. Pay attention to what orders the MD writes. Notice how the patient responds and how the team prioritizes their interventions and their assessments. And then next time, maybe when you're out on your own and your patient says that they're short of breath or is having some respiratory difficulty, you will have some background knowledge to pull from. Not that every respiratory distress situation is the same. I'm not saying that, but you will have some background. You'll have some basis, something to draw from. And then you know what? That scenario, you're going to write a clinical journal about it and apply what you learned from that to the next time. And it goes and it goes and it goes. And that is how you develop clinical competence so, so much faster than if you just went to clinical, went home and watched Netflix. So that's really fun too, but take a little bit of time to write in your clinical journal. So there you have it, you guys, my best tips for feeling confident in clinical. And if you want to feel confident in nursing school, let's say you're heading into nursing school You want to check out my Crucial Concepts Bootcamp, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. It is on sale right now through August 15th, 2021. It goes on sale three times a year, so don't panic if you're listening to this on August 17th, 2021. It will go on sale again, I promise. It goes on sale. Right now, the promo code is FUTUREnurse, all one word. It's 20% off, our biggest discount ever. You get a free electrolyte study guide. Hello, you get a free two-week trial of Beyond Boot Camp, which is its own program all on its own that takes you into disease conditions and how to care for patients. And when you use the social share option, you get a free med search study guide that is epic, absolutely epic. So Crucial Concepts Boot Camp, I will link to that in the episode notes. It's going to teach foundation core concepts to you so that you can start nursing school already understanding foundation nursing knowledge, okay? We're going to understand things like 
communication, medical terminology, dosage calculations, critical thinking, care plans, NCLEX questions, nursing diagnoses. We do a whole review of some key anatomy uh, physiology topics like acid-base balance and fluids and electrolytes and the RAS pathway and the autonomic nervous system and all these things that can really help you understand core nursing fundamentals. We also talk about organization, getting systems in place because nursing school is busy. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of assignments and priorities. We talk about that. We talk about how to study. It's chock full of information. And this is a great time to get it because like I said, it is on sale right now, you guys. So check that out. And then next week, Let's see what we're talking about next week, you guys. Okay, so next week we're tackling something that I see a lot of students doing, and it's very self-defeating, and it needs to stop. And when it stops, you'll be absolutely amazed at the transformation that takes place, and that is negative self-talk. So we're going to be talking about negative self-talk next week. I'll see you back here then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist, and we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.